This program is brought to you by Abiding Above Ministries. Emotions, let's not be deceived, and then loneliness and our emotions. Now I want you to think about one of the saints of old, and there's so many of them, but think about what happened with Joshua. You remember Joshua? He was going to be the one who would lead the children of Israel into the promised land. Moses talked to the Lord, and the Lord told him that you're not going to go, you're going to die, and basically that I've selected Joshua to lead the people into the land that I have promised them. Now, I'm sure emotionally that affected Moses after all those years of being with the children of Israel, stiff-necked as they were, always longing to go back to Egypt, and all those things he dealt with, and then his own personal frustration, having struck the rock when he should not have, and other things that he did. But there came that time, and if you will, turn to Deuteronomy. Uh, This is just to open us up into this message, but I'm not going to teach from Deuteronomy. But look at Deuteronomy chapter 31, and this is what the Lord instructed Moses, and this is what the Lord instructed Joshua through his servant Moses. And you may want to highlight this in your Bible so that you can go to this sometimes when you're feeling lonely, when you feel somewhat disconnected, and you're not sure what God is up to in your life. Deuteronomy chapter 31, look at verses 6 through 8. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Then Moses called to Joshua. Remember now, basically there's a transfer of leadership here. And then uh, Moses called to Joshua and said to him, in the sight of all Israel, right in front of everyone, he said this to them. He said, be strong and courageous. He's repeating what God had said. Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall give it to them as an inheritance. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not be feared. Do not be dismayed. Now, that is a promise, of course, to Joshua, to Moses, all those years. That is a promise to you and me. Now, when you look at the Old Testament in light of the New Testament, when you look at the Old Testament, you can see pictures of Jesus Christ. And one of the things we see here just in this brief passage is the fact that Joshua, a type of Christ, is going to lead the children of Israel into the land flowing with milk and honey. Now, that land flowing with milk and honey, Canaan, is a picture of the Spirit-filled life right here in the church age in which we live. So, he told Joshua later that wherever your foot trods as you go into this land, not I will give it to you, but I have given it to you. Now, when you became a child of God, this is what God intends for you and me. We're to walk in His Spirit be carried along by Him, because we've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, but we do not experience these blessings if we don't know about the blessings and if our emotions are ruling and reigning in our life instead of the facts of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God. Now, think over in the New Testament. 
Think about the disciples. They had walked with Jesus. They had been listening to him. He had been teaching them in a very simple way with parables. And they had extended time with him when all the multitudes were not around him. And so now he's saying, okay, I'm fixing to go away. I'm going to leave you. But he gave them a a very simple promise. And you see it in John chapter 14, verse 18. One sentence, listen to this. John 14, 18. Jesus said to them, he said, I will not leave you as orphans. He says, I will come to you. I will come to you. Not maybe, but I will. Now, they were just like you and I are today. Sometimes we wonder, God, are you really there? I'm not hearing from you, Lord. Where are you? And just like he said to Joshua and Moses, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm there. Just like he said to the disciples, I'm not going to leave you here, Zorphus. I will come again. And then we see that Jesus died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, was raised on the third day, ascended to heaven, and he sent the Holy Spirit back. And you know what? From that day forward, the Spirit of God, who is God, lives inside of true believers. Now, we were just singing, I need thee every hour. You know what? One of the attributes of God is he's our ever-present help. One of the characteristics and attributes of God is he is our ever-present help. Amen? So you know what that means? Yes, we do need him every hour, but guess what? We have him every hour. (laughs) And for how long? All eternity never has an end. We have God, our ever-present help. But this is the problem. Life overwhelms us. We get busy. We get discouraged. We get dismayed. And we disconnect from what we have. In other words, we have His ever-present help, but we let our emotions overwhelm us. Remember, the whole thought here in this series is... Our mind and our will and our emotions have to be subservient to the truth of the Word of God and the immediate control of the Holy Spirit. If that gets flipped, I'm telling you, your emotions will lead you all the days of your life, and you'll make a lot of mistakes. And so that's what we're doing in this series, and this particular topic this morning is on loneliness. And loneliness is the number one emotional problem in the world. No matter what country you're in, no matter what people you might be from, loneliness is the dominant emotion that people feel deep inside. Now, with that in mind, here are some things that we must think about when we feel lonely. Now, the first part of this message might pertain to somebody in here or several people in here, but it has to do with salvation. And so whenever your pastor teaches a portion of Scripture that has to do with salvation, don't see it as me thinking that you're not saved. (laughs) When you hear me speak of salvation, don't think, well, I am saved. No, begin to pray for anybody who might hear this message that might not be saved. There's more people here than you. So, Number one, if you're taking notes, the presence of God. The presence of God. Now, if you're going to deal with loneliness, and ultimately loneliness, when you sum it all up and look at it in simplicity, loneliness is a longing for God. 
God put it in us to desire Him and a oneness with Him. And that is inside of human beings. God put that in there. You remember the first few messages in this series established the fact that we're created in the image of God, the likeness of God, and therefore He had personality, emotions, and so we're created in His image, so we have personality, we have emotions, we have longings, and one of those longings is an intimate and ongoing relationship and fellowship with God. Now, turn, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 53. This was written about 700 years before Jesus came, and the prophet Isaiah said this in verse 6 of Isaiah 53. He said, all of us, and I believe that includes me and you, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. That's speaking of Jesus. Long before Jesus came on the scene as being able to be seen in the body, a manifestation of God through this human body, Jesus being God, long before that, before uh, the foundation of the world, there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the prophet is speaking of the Messiah that is to come. And it was said that the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. That includes us. Now, turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. The Apostle Paul, he's quoting here from the Psalms. And listen to what Paul says, and this also includes all of us. Paul says, as it is written, he says, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. And all have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Now, sometimes when I'm talking to people and I'll say, how are you doing? And they'll say, I'm doing good. And I'll say, well, the Bible says there's none good. No, not one. That's where I get that. That's why you're supposed to say, I'm doing well. So how does a person initially enter into that relationship with God? And that is the first step to dealing with this loneliness. God uses this emotional feeling of loneliness to cause people to search for meaning in life, causes people to search for meaningful relationships, but they always find something doesn't satisfy this sense of loneliness that I feel inside. There's like nothing really ever satisfies it. And so people, they cling to friends, they cling to family members, and we should love our friends and relate to them, love our family and relate to them, but if we're not careful... Our family or our friends become God in our life. That is the danger, and I want to tell you, most relational problems is us putting someone ahead of God to meet this and satisfy this sense of longing that I have. Ultimately, this feeling of loneliness is a desire for intimacy with God, whether a person knows it or not. So God gives this sense of loneliness worldwide to mankind to draw them to Him to meet that need. 
But for the most part, the majority of the world seeks to meet that need in relationships that can't satisfy completely, chemical dependency that wears off, a pursuit of money that never satisfies, a pursuit of things that never satisfies, a pursuit of status, trying to reach this image that someone or you have set for yourself, and there is an always coming to this, never feeling satisfied that I've arrived, and people are lonely. A great example of loneliness is someone who lived right here in our city that's known by the whole world, was Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley started out just a small-town boy. He used to drive a delivery truck right here in Memphis, Tennessee, but he had a gift to sing. It was just a God-given gift that I believe he abused in some ways. He ended up becoming a famous star, and because of Elvis Presley, vulgar dancing and a lot of other things came on the scene. It's ungodliness rampant. But it was like he came on the scene, and with his music and with his ways, it's like the sense of trying to be a little more reserved was broken down in the United States and across the world, and people began, in a sense, to let it all hang out. And that happened a long time ago, and it is still affects us today, but I do love to hear him singing, crying in the chapel. It's almost like, oh my goodness, how could he sing that? And then some of the other things he did, it seemed like it broke down part of the emotional fabric of our society. But his biographer says about him that there in Graceland, Graceland sits on a, on a kind of a back on a hill, and uh, when you're driving by, you can see it, it's a beautiful place. And uh, when you look at it, you can't help but think about, wow, how God can take someone in America and do something with them. But you see how it went south. He got into drugs. He first started taking drugs in Tupelo, Mississippi, because his manager had him going from one gig to the other and trying to make more and more money. So somebody introduced him to speed, and he got to going from one thing to another, making tons of money. That He was just like, people just started liking him. It's like, how do you turn all this down? And then the drugs begin to control him. He had to have drugs to wake up in the morning. He had to have drugs to go to sleep at night. And his whole world was coming apart, though the money was coming in. And he was dependent on people who had selfish gain in mind. And his biographer said about him, and in those last days before he passed away, that said that he would hold on to a teddy bear and rock himself in the bed and stare out the window and he would say, I am so alone, loved by millions of people, but desiring to be loved by God, but did not understand what he felt emotionally and tried to use chemicals, relationships, and other things to satisfy something in him that always eluded him. Supposedly, at some point in his life, and I hope this is true, that he prayed and asked Christ to come into his heart, the reason I promote discipleship so much was what this guy needed. He didn't need a pill. He didn't need anything. He needed somebody he trusted to sit down with him and began to show him, this is what God is like. This is who you are. This is how you can be intimate with him. This is what you do when you do sin. This is how to have your quiet time in the morning. This is how to pray. He never had anybody like that in his life. And so it affected him in a very negative way. And so how does a person enter into a initial relationship with God, the first step to dealing with this whole issue of loneliness. Well, 1 Peter 
2, verses 24 and 25, a person needs to know this. 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25, And He Himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins in His body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by His wounds you are healed. Verse 25, For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd, and notice, and guardian of your what? Soul. See, your soul is where your mind is, where you think. It's where your emotions, where you feel. And it's where your will is, where you make choices. There has to come a time in your life where this loneliness and other things in your life crowd you to Christ, as L.A. Maxwell used to say. Do you know what I mean when I say God crowds you to Christ? You know what I mean? I wrote a blog post just the other day, and it talked about my personal salvation when I was a six-year-old boy. And what it was is I just felt God crowding me to Christ. Even though I was a young boy, I just sensed Him crowding me to Himself, lovingly crowding me to Him. And then I just finally looked at Jesus, what was said about Jesus. He took the sins that make me feel lonely, that feeling, emotional feeling of being separated from God and this lonely, disconnected feeling, the Bible says, like a bird on a post or a rooftop, a loneliness. And God took that and it made me want to figure out what do I do with what I feel? And I realized it was my sins that separated me from God and it was my sins that Jesus took upon Him and died out with it. And if I would believe in that, not some light shooting across the sky, not some book that I read about pop psychology that tells me how to be a, a positive person. No. Entering into a real, genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, where He comes into me and I come into Him made possible by His death on the cross for all my sins. My friend, listen, that is the first and foremost answer to deal with this feeling of loneliness. I must have these people. I must have these things. I must have this chemical. To deal with that sense of loneliness, the first thing must be a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. And I was talking to someone just yesterday. I'm beginning to think there's a whole lot of folks who think they're saved, but they've never been born again. That's not being critical, but the signs are everywhere. Something is wrong. Relationships are crazy. People are hurting. And these people have grown up in churches in different places all over America. Deep down, something is wrong. And you think, how can you help these people? And my desire is to help as many as I can before God calls me home. But I want to tell you, in a loving mindset. You cannot escape being genuinely born again. You can hear a thousand and ten sermons, but until one is genuinely born again, there continues to be a disconnect and that initial loneliness that mankind feels because he's separated from God. That can't even begin to be dealt with until first there is an understanding that I'm a sinner 
separated from God for all eternity. And I need Jesus and His death on the cross to save me from my sins and to enter into me in a personal relationship with Him to satisfy that loneliness that I feel. And so there is the presence of God. Second thing is this, is the will of God. Now that you've entered into a personal relationship with God and can have an ongoing fellowship and walk with God, now there is the will of God. I am God's child. He's in me and I'm in Him. And the Bible tells me He has a will for my life. I just don't live my life the way I want to. He has a will for me. Second thing is the will of God. As true children of God, God employs us in His will. In other words, we don't get saved to say, thank you, Lord, I'm going to live the rest of my life the way I want to until I die, and then I'm going to come to heaven to be with you. That is not the thought in the Bible. The clear teaching of the Bible is once we enter into a relationship with God and have the presence of God with us, then we line up and say, what is your will for me, whether I like it or not, what is your will for me? What is the purpose that you created me inside my mother to begin with? And so is the will of God. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, As each one has received a special gift, talking about you, talking about me, look what it says, First Peter 4, 10, Employ it, and look, serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so you can know this. God saves you. You have His presence in you. And according to Scripture, He gave you a spiritual gift. You say, well, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. We did a whole series on that, and I'm not going to do it again anytime soon, but we have the spiritual gifts inventory. I've Probably everybody here has had one, have gone through it. It helps you determine how you're gifted by God. And then when you see that, I want to encourage you, not just here on this property, not only here. I want you to think, what can I do at my local church to serve God according to my spiritual gift? Not just here, but also in your daily living. How do I use the gift God's given me in the environment that God has allowed me to be in? It's not just here. There's just not enough for you to do here. Now over at Bellevue, <laughs> all of you could be used more than you would like to be able to use. But here, with all the different spiritual gifts, there's just not enough for what everybody does. The gift and the one another's that the Bible teaches is in our daily living. We don't come to church and do the one another's and then that's it till next Sunday. Sunday's only four times a month for the most part. And so you and I have the presence of God within us. That takes care of that initial loneliness for relationship with Him. And then we must discover the will of God and we see that I've been given a gift, and I need to employ that gift all the time, wherever I am. And I want to tell you, loneliness is at a minimum when we are serving God. It's at a minimum. But if we're disconnected and trying to build and fulfill this image that we have of ourselves or that someone has built in front of us to try to fulfill, most likely mom and dad, trying to create this perfect world, have this perfect image. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. La-di-da. You know what? We're going to feel this loneliness in us 
that won't be satisfied until we begin to walk in the will of God. When you take time to discern God's will and involve yourself in His plan, you can experience His presence and His approval inside of you. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Listen to what Paul said. He says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work, notice, in you, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Listen, he who began a good work, where? In you. When did this happen? It happened when you believed and received Christ. Now you have his presence within you. And what does he do? He says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, he'll perfect it until the day of Christ. Philippians 2.13, Paul says this, For it is God who is at work, listen, in you, and look at this, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So the loneliness initially crowds you to Christ. You believe and you receive Christ, and the Holy Spirit comes into you. He gives you a spiritual gift, and He operates that spiritual gift in and through you to others, but for Him and His glory. And He even works by the Holy Spirit, His will in you, and His work in you both, as you abide in Him who is your life. And so there's the presence of God, and then there is the will of God. Those two things lining up, I want to tell you, loneliness will begin to dissipate from you. So, third and last thing is this. The presence of God within you, the will of God for you, the spiritual gift that He's given you, when that's working, it will naturally involve you in the presence of God's people. It'll involve you in the presence of God's people. Now, Hebrews chapter um, 10, verses 24 through 25, let me read that. Now, you know, I don't badger people about how much money they give, but I want to encourage you, if you're not giving to your church, you need to begin to give. I rarely talk about it, but I do talk about it because the Scripture talks about it. If you're not giving, you need to give. And if you're slack on attendance, you need to attend. But listen, I'll maintain this. You pray and you give as God leads. Where you give, you give as God leads. Somehow or another, God will figure things out. We don't have to. Matter of fact, God doesn't figure anything out. He knows everything. Come as God leads you. If you need to be somewhere else, that's between you and God. But at least listen to Him and obey Him. Amen? So when you read this passage, don't read it as me being legalistic or motivating you by guilt. I don't want to do that. Life's too short, and you take care of these things. But listen to what... The writer of Hebrews says in verse 24, And let us consider, look at that word consider, how to, listen, stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Isn't it interesting that we do a lot of considering and we do a lot of stimulating in other areas of our life to get people to do what we want in whatever, whether it's a ball team or whatever. But when it comes to God, and the local church that he established, that hell will never break down that, sometimes we forget that we need to be considering how to stimulate one another in the local church, stirring up the gift that's within us to do the work of 
Evangelism and discipleship, and I want to tell you, our local churches across America are in total confusion as to what church is. It has become entertainment and a thousand other things that are good that are not necessarily first and foremost. And so the writer says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. Now look at the words, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now we've sang a song just a moment ago about the fact that Jesus is coming soon. And I'm going to do a series on this. I don't know exactly when, but I do believe Christ is coming soon. Now for some people that makes them very uncomfortable. And I would encourage you if that statement, Jesus is coming soon, and Brother Mike said he's coming physically. That's what the Bible says. We're going to see him coming. We're going to see him physically coming in. That may seem mystical, but the Bible says that it's true, and everything that the Bible has ever said since long ago has come true, and listen, will come true. There was a day we celebrated every year Jesus was born in a manger. We know that that's real, not only from Scripture, but from secular history. We know that really happened, and He died on a cross, which was prophesied in the Old Testament before there was any such thing as an instrument of death called a cross. And we know He's coming again because the Bible tells us that He is, and it appears that He's coming again soon. And we're to be thinking, how can I stimulate my brothers and sisters in Christ? How can I cause a positive atmosphere? How can I encourage one another? Because it looks like Christ is coming soon. You say, well, how does this look in the body of Christ? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. How does this look in the body of Christ? Now, when you say the body of Christ, just picture my body as Christ. Here's the body of Christ. When you become a child of God, most Christians are never clearly taught this, and that's why there's so much strife everywhere. When you become a child of God, the Bible clearly teaches that you are baptized into the body of Christ. So you're in Christ Jesus. And listen, that is your image. Whether you know it or not, that is your image. It's finished, it's settled, and you're satisfied, if you know that. Not only that, the Holy Spirit on earth, in these physical bodies, comes into you to do His will and His work through you with the gift that He's given you, and you're to be connected with a local body of believers. Now, that doesn't mean you have to do everything every time the doors are open or you wear yourself out in our society. But it does mean the desire is there, the longing is there to be with other brothers and sisters in Christ. So, for even, speaking of all of us, for even as the body is one, talking about Christ, and yet has many members, that includes you if you're born again, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Now, we have many local churches in our area. In the South, there are churches on every street corner. How many times y'all have heard that? Long before I was born, everybody was saying, if you're not attending a church somewhere, it's your fault, because more than likely you can walk out 
your front door, turn right, and within two or three blocks, you'll be at a church somewhere. And it's been that way for many years, especially in the South. Uh, I was talking to Kelly's dad the other day, and he said that's one of the reasons that uh, we picked up our family here in Memphis and went to uh, St. Louis, because it seemed like we were saturated with churches, and so let's go somewhere where they need us, and dropped them smack dab in the middle of Catholicism, which is a whole nother strain in ministry. But we are all members of the body of Christ, each one of us. And as Stephen Oford used to say, look, people, we're spiritual Siamese twins. We're all connected together because we're all perfectly and equally baptized into Christ. And by the Holy Spirit, He's in us. And as we live surrendered to Him, what the Scripture says about the local church happens in a very natural and organic and a very spiritual way. And so even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. You say, what's this got to do with loneliness? When you believe and receive Christ, you enter into a relationship with God. And I want to tell you, ultimately, that's all that you need. That eternal relationship with God. When you see it the right way, you know, I'll never have to be lonely again because the one who created me lives in me and I am established in him for all eternity. That naturally will involve you into the will of God. He's given you a gift to exercise through you, not just here on these 17 acres, but in your daily living encouraging other people, practicing the one another's of the Bible by the power of the Holy Spirit, according to your gift, wherever you are operating 24-7 with this mindset, involving you with God's people, and then being able to see how this functions with your brothers and sisters in Christ by not forsaking the gathering of the brethren uh, together. And we're to consider, we're to stimulate, and we're to encourage. Now, a lot of people say, if I could just have some friends, this loneliness that I feel would dissipate. Sometimes you think that it has, especially if you're not walking with God and spending time with Him. You begin to feel that gnawing sense of loneliness again. And listen, ultimately, that is God saying, spend time with me, your ultimate satisfaction. And if you'll do that, you'll be a better friend. You'll have more answers. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. Now, you can purpose in your heart to be a friendly person, but it can be staged. It can be a friendliness for personal gain. It can be trying to create a friendly atmosphere for something that you need from people. But what he's talking about here in Scripture is talking about a life. It's talking about the life of God in man being lived out through man. And there's one such person that has been very, very important in my life, and it's a woman. I got to know her many years ago. She was a homiletical uh, secretary for Dr. Stephen Oford. Her name was Victoria Cool. Everybody called her Vicky. She's the perfect example of a person who considers, what can I say or do to stimulate him or her 
into good deeds? What can I do to stir up the gift that I believe I see in him or her? She is the perfect example of someone who was this way. And God blessed me to be intersected with her. And more than likely, if I had not be, I'd still be a railroad engineer down the Mississippi Delta. But God intersected me with her and God used her. And so one of her friends, one of our mutual friends, uh, Vicky's passed away now, but a mutual friend of, of ours, her name is Ellen, she wrote me this some years ago. She says, my dear Chris. So that tells you she's an older person. <laughs> my dear Chris. That's the way people used to say it, especially over in England. Another year has rolled around, and with it comes our birthdays, which God has so graciously blessed us with. My prayer has been all day that you were experiencing a great day with your family and enjoying this beautiful day. Then she says this, I am so grateful to the Lord for leading you to encounter our offered ministries, and you became involved. I thank the Lord for the time Vicky spent with you. See, she watched this in this ministry that I was involved in. She watched this happen. I was still a railroad engineer down the Delta. God was working His will in me and through me. It made me drive up to Memphis, Tennessee, seeking God's will to go to this particular ministry because they were teaching on Christian leadership at the time Dr. Oford was. And that's how I intersected with Vicki. But Ellen said, I thank the Lord for the time Vicki spent with you and the godly information she supplied you with. I was trying to discern my call into the ministry. And I didn't know who to talk to or how to find out if what I was discerning was what I was supposed to do. And so I was sitting out at a picnic table at lunch one day between the seminar sessions, and Vicky came out to sit down at the table with me. I had kind of a boxed lunch there, and we started talking. You know, I can remember when I first started talking with her, I knew she was different. You know what it was? She was spirit-filled. You could sense the love in her, the encouragement in her, and I miss her. You don't find people like this anymore. She said, I thank the Lord for the time Vicki spent with you and the godly information she supplied you with. I thank him for giving you an inquisitive spirit, and you were like the Bereans, searching the scriptures for yourself. And now she moves in to encouraging me. She says, may you experience an abundance of godly wisdom, guidance, grace, mercy, peace, and protection, as you preach this coming year. And may many be received into the kingdom through your preaching. So many need to hear your message, the many who are lost and searching for something, and the Christians who are saved, but searching for something. She was encouraging me, and it's my prayer that everybody in this church would be an encourager. Be positive in your spirit. Be positive with one another. And when you're together and you're away from this church, encourage one another. If anything comes to your mind and your mouth that's negative, listen to the Holy Spirit, who I know is already telling you, don't say it. Don't do this. Be who you are in Christ. Love other people with a God they love. Be positive. Encourage. Consider what you can say. 
to stimulate, build up. How many of you here are perfect? Raise your hands. Positionally, I know you're perfect. Conditionally, nobody can raise their hands. How many of you have been forgiven for all your sins? Raise your hand. Amen. Aren't you glad? Let's forgive others. We'll never all think perfectly. Jesus is coming. We need to encourage one another. Amen. And so this was just a person in my life that God really used. And I'm grateful for her. And she's a woman. Amen. The real reason she got my attention was because you can see in her countenance. And as I listened to her interact with others, she was a unifier and never a divider. Now, I did not know this until many years later. I had no clue. But I found out many years later. There was a particular woman in the ministry that caused Vicky a whole lot of emotional strife. The lady was had such a perfectionist mindset, a determination that things would always and only go her way, a protection of her own atmosphere that she had built for herself. And this woman in this ministry was operated in an old, beautiful home. And so when you walked on those hardwood floors, you could hear it kind of echo, 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 echo. And everybody knew when this particular woman was walking the halls, coming back toward where the staff was, they could hear her click, 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 click. And if she was upset, it was click, 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 click. <laughs> and Vicky's stomach used to get tied in knots when she would hear her footsteps. And she was with that ministry for more than 50 years, and Vicky never married. And she had been under the strain of this particular woman from the beginning. You know who she said she was faithful to? God. But if it wasn't for God, she'd been gone a long time ago. If she had not responded that way, she probably would have never come over to the picnic table and talked with this country boy from the Mississippi Delta. She'd have probably been over with the staff somewhere talking bad about the leaders of the ministry. But she was far above that. She really knew who she was in Christ, and she dealt with the hardship. And I never knew it till a long time later, what she was undergoing emotionally with this one particular person. Listen, I don't know who you're dealing with. All of us have to deal with somebody. And what don't kill you makes you better. Amen? You've been listening to Abiding Above Ministries with Chris Hodges. If you would like Chris to speak at your church or event, please go to our website, abidingabove.org. God bless you and make you a blessing.